and welcome to Step Up Nigeria's podcast. Our podcast is an initiative built to foster a transparent and equitable society by actively engaging and empowering citizens to fight corruption and demand quality services and public goods. On our podcast today, we're going to be discussing anti-corruption education in Nigeria, a complementary tool or an alternative to enforcement. What are your thoughts? We'll find out after the podcast. On this episode, our podcast will be hosted by my colleague, Godfrey Itatu. I'll be handing over to him to carry on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Fermi, and welcome to today's episode. In today's episode, we take a look at Step Up Nigeria's 50th anniversary. So in July 2023, Step Up Nigeria celebrated her fifth um, year anniversary. Five years of empowering youths, igniting change, and inspiring integrity. Now, these are not just words. These are a testament to our anti-corruption interventions with stakeholders from various walks of life, both uh, children and adults. On the 27th of July, we unveiled our anti-corruption report titled Anti-Corruption Education in Nigeria, a complementary tool or an alternative to enforcement where we shared the methods used in carrying out our intervention, case studies, the results, lesson learned, and the changes that have started taking place. Now, this comprehensive report also contains recommendations for state and non-state actors to enhance anti-corruption education efforts in Nigeria. Today, we'll break down this report and tell a few stories about some of the cases that resonated with us. Now, we hope you enjoy and learn from this episode. I'm joined on today's episode by two remarkable individuals, big fishes, if you may, and I'll let them introduce themselves. We'll start with the lady and then the gentleman. Thank you very much, Godfrey. My name is Fermi Inoda. I'm the Deputy Director of Programs for Step Up Nigeria, and I'm really glad to be here discussing this with you. Thank you very much, uh, Fermi, and also thank you very much, Godfrey. Samuel Asimi is my name. I'm the Program Director of Step Up Nigeria, and I'm actually very happy to be here with you. Like I said, these are quite big fishes. So uh, first off, Congratulations are in order. Uh, so I want to say big congratulations to Step Up Nigeria on a very, very successful uh, 50th anniversary. As part of the, the, the fifth anniversary, you unveiled an anti-corruption report titled um, Anti-Corruption Education in Nigeria, a complementary tool or an alternative to enforcement. So uh, Samuel, tell us a bit about uh, this anti-corruption report. Thank you very much, Godfrey. Um, and yes, indeed, we unveiled this report, which we're all very happy to launch. Uh, and we've been getting feedback and reaction from different stakeholders who've actually gone through it. Um, generally, the aim of the report was actually to uh, bring in uh, lots of conversations around the anti-corruption education uh, aspect. In the anti-corruption sphere, we have two uh, predominantly approach, which has been used to combat corruption. So one on one hand, you have the sanctions approach. Uh, there you have law enforcement officials. You have um, uh, the whole full chain of the criminal justice system from investigation, prosecution, adjudication, and of course, uh, down to the correctional services where uh, attitudinal change are actually being applied. Uh, then secondly, you now have um, the on the preventive approach, 
which is actually the anti-corruption education approach. Uh, so it's also popularly known as the integrity approach as well. And this is also what StepUp actually currently carries out uh, across our intervention in the last five years, uh, which we've been uh, implementing projects, uh, engaging state and non-state actors at the national, international, and of course the sub-national, which is the grass level on different themes related to anti-corruption. Uh, so um, in general, uh, uh, reports, looked at these issues, uh, looked at the pros and cons of the anti-corruption education approach, uh, also looked at the pros and cons of the sanctions approach, uh, and then brought out key recommendations for different policymakers, uh, states, and also non-state actors uh, as to what rules they can actually play to ensure that um, corruption is actually reduced uh, to its barest minimum in Nigeria. Uh, just to highlight that in the report, as you can see from the title, uh, the reports was actually very, very, very clear uh, that there is no single approach that can actually tackle the issue of corruption, but it recommended that there needs to be a combination of the both approach to see that um, anti-corruption is actually tackled and reduced to its barest minimum. So while we have um, colleagues uh, walking around anti-corruption education, which is what Step Up does, uh, educating individuals around social norms, social values, are trying to ensure that um, the society can collectively push collectively combat, collectively tackle corruption uh, by going back um, to the basis, if I could use that word, uh, going back to the values and the norms that actually make us as a society. And then the sanctions approach also comes in where you have deviants uh, who uh, don't really subscribe or succumb to uh, the social norms uh, being propagated by the anti-corruption education proponents. And that's where you have the sanction coming in to actually uh, deal with those who don't conform uh, to the values and the morals and the norms of society. Uh, so this is actually just to give you a bit of a summary of what the report is about. And we're actually very happy that we have this because we've been working on lots of data uh, in the last five years. And it was actually a good thing to actually ensure that this data was actually put uh, to use. Uh, we, we had lots of results around the anti-corruption education where we saw um, robust increase in the knowledge of um, anti-corruption education uh, in the knowledge of corruption uh, by those who've engaged from over double-digit increase. Uh, we see an increase of over 10%, and we think this is also very important. The report also contains um, other key facts and figures. But yes, um, to respond to your question, Godfrey, uh, this is just a little summary of the report. Thank you. Very interesting, Samuel. A quick follow-up here. So now I'm glad you talked about the collaborative efforts because just prevention alone cannot solve this. But do you envisage a time where preventive approach as adopted by, by SEPO Nigeria would, would, have, would take a central stage at some point, not necessarily replacing the other approach, but um, to have more um, center stage? And um, what impact do you think that would have in the fight against corruption in the long run? Thanks very much, Godfrey. Um, straight away to answer your question in terms of um, if I foresee that time. Uh, yes, um, that's our hope, that's our dream. Uh, and this is not just because we are proponents of this or work in this sector. This is because it's uh, cost-effective. Uh, Anti-corruption education is 
very, very way less expensive. Generally, uh, when you're talking about matters, not just um, corruption, you're talking of um, in the construction industry, you're talking of in the health industry, prevention is always better than cure uh, because looking at the cost implications, looking at uh, whatever must have happened. So it's very, very easy to prevent these crimes in the first place. Uh, when you come to anti-corruption, we look at illicit financial flow and asset recovery. Uh, you'd see that once these assets have already left the country, it's very, very difficult to get them back. But it's easier to actually ensure that these crimes, uh, uh, corruption in general, and corrupt acts are actually prevented before they happen. Because once we do this, it would actually help. So that's our goal. That's our target. That's what we hope for, uh, because it's uh, cost-effective and it makes the life of citizens actually better. Uh, getting the funds back or trying to uh, have corrective measures uh, is actually very, 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 very expensive. And as seen um, in our reports, uh, where it takes uh, lot, lots of time to actually prosecute uh, issues around um, um, corruption. Uh, lots of funds are actually being spent uh, on tackling corruption, and we really don't see this result. So in general, uh, from our point and from our stand, uh, Point of view, we think it's very important to actually uh, have this preventive measure in place, and uh, we hope we reach that stage or we attain that level uh, where preventive uh, measures actually um, form the backbone uh, of the anti-corruption efforts generally across the country. Thank you very much, uh, Samuel. So, Fermi, what are some of the the common approaches used in tackling corruption, and what are some of the uh, the uniqueness about the approach that um, of Nigeria has adopted, and how does it differ from the 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 solutions that have been out there for years? Thank you very much, Godfrey, for that. Um, and this is just following on from what Samuel has said in terms of like generally acceptable approaches to tackling corruption. You know, would be the sanctions approach, and then of course those behavioral change approaches which fall under, you know, preventive. But there are many other preventive approaches, but I'll speak specifically around, you know, behavioral change approaches. And the reasoning behind that is that corruption is not just an act, it's a behavior. So this is something that people learn and can also unlearn. The idea is that there are social norms in our society that have been passed down from generation to generation that have allowed corruption to thrive and persist. So these are norms, they are values, they are belief systems, they are generally accepted ways of living. Um, and the idea is if we don't change what we believe, then we can't change how we act. And so it's getting to the root of the people who carry out corrupt acts as opposed to the corrupt acts themselves, which is what the sanction approach will focus on, which is, you know, what was done and how to sanction that. Um, this behavioral change approach looks at the person who is carrying out this act, you know, the background and how we can sort of change some of those behaviors um, around, you know, that, that lead people to act in corrupt ways or carry out um, corrupt actions. And so for Step Up Nigeria, it's important for us to look at how can we begin to change behavior. And I think what makes the Step Up approach different, there are many things, um, excuse me, um, that make our approach different. One, I, I think, would be um, our tools. Two would be our approach. And I think three would be our target audience. So Step Up Nigeria believes in using innovative storytelling. Our approach is storytelling. Um, we don't believe that it's enough to tell an individual corruption is bad, corruption is bad, you need to stop corruption. We believe that the way in which the anti-corruption messaging is delivered is key in achieving behavioral change. And so we believe that the storytelling approach, and, and generally that means using um, tales, using stories, using um, song or film, things that are creative in that way, 
have a different effect on the human mind in terms of increasing people's motivation to even get involved in tackling corruption. And so the storytelling approach has been big for us, but also using innovation. Um, and I would say we've sort of created a niche for ourselves in that area and using things like um, storybooks, um, virtual reality, um, board games, documentary films, animated films, that idea of using non-conventional anti-corruption tools to tackle corruption, I think is something that we've done well in using innovative storytelling. So that, that's on the approach and also on the tools which I've listed out, but also on our target area. Most anti-corruption efforts have been targeted at politicians, politically exposed persons, persons in governance, civil servants, you know, and maybe in some spheres, just everyday workers in, in, in the private sector. But what we're saying is if we're going to begin to tackle corruption, it has to start with what we teach our children. And that's our motto here, that fighting corruption starts with what we teach our children. The idea is that, you know, it's a generation that is growing. Of course, society is imputing values on that generation, but we have a unique opportunity from now to begin to groom the next generation to be leaders who will act with integrity. And so the niche for us is at Step Up, our anti-corruption efforts are targeted at youth largely. So we have our Catch Them Young initiative targeted at children aged 6 to 15 years old. Um, in Nigeria, that's primary school and early junior secondary and some senior secondary classes. Um, but also we're looking at youth in general. And so we have our first time voters initiative that is targeted at young people in communities from age 18 to age 35. So we're looking at the youth demographic to see how we can influence their thoughts and their behaviors and their actions through innovative storytelling. And of course, our long-term hope, because anything around behavioral change would be long-term because no one changes overnight. Anyone, you know, will tell you that. But our hope is, of course, that in the next couple of years, the next level or the next set of leaders that we, we, we will have, you know, will act with integrity because they've been trained differently. Again, finally, just because I know I'm, I'm rambling at this point, but our, our approach is not just corruption is bad. Anyone who has approached any of our tools shows that our approach empowers the average Nigerian citizen to say, you can stop corruption. So it doesn't push out, look at your leaders, look at your politicians. It's more of an introspective approach to say, this is my environment, this is my school, this is my community. What can I do to ensure that integrity is upheld? What can I do to ensure that anti-corruption, you know, is a widely acceptable way of behavior? How can we begin things like social sanctions? So it empowers you to say, what can you do to tackle corruption? And I think that's why this behavioral um, change approach adopted by Step Up is different from, you know, other preventive approaches that you, we may have seen in Nigeria so far. Thank you very much, uh, Feremi. So uh, I'll come back to you, Samuel, and I want you. I want to still talk a bit about the report. I want to know how um, were the the research conducted, and what were the methodologies used in coming to this um, research finding, and what were some of the initial challenges that um, were encountered? You know, um, in the five years that you have existed and building up to this report. Thanks very much, Godfrey. Um, I think um, that's a very important question um, because once you see a research output, you go to look at the methodology first uh, to see uh, what was used and how the researchers actually came about um, whatever findings they actually postulating. Uh, so from our end, um, we actually had a mixed approach. Uh, we had quantitative and qualitative um, approach. Uh, for um, the in ensuring that we had this uh, mixed approach, we also looked in-house uh, because Step Up has a very rich uh, 
database, and I think that's actually very important to highlight. Um, across our interventions, we have pre and post um, uh, endline surveys that were actually issued out to um, not just children, but of course, uh, different actors, young adults, and of course, adults as well that we engage. Um, so this actually helps us to assess um, how far uh, interventions have actually impacted on the lives of citizens in general. And we had about 30,000 of these questionnaires, which we actually analyzed. Um, I think that's important to highlight. We had five states, um, which these questionnaires to actually administer in. Uh, you have Lagos, you have Imo, you have Oyo, you have Nasarawa. Uh, we also have um, Kaduna. Uh, so these were the states uh, where we had this. On the quantitative aspects, we had used um, these uh, questionnaires with the numbers we had, looking at trying to measure progress and trying to measure improvements where we saw changes around the knowledge of corruption among those that engage for uh, up to double digit level, about 13% thereabouts. Uh, also on the qualitative um, point of view, we had conducted desk research and desk reviews. Uh, we had looked into um, publications, looked into charts, and I think that actually also helped uh, around measuring um, the approaches around the sanctions, around generally um, just telling the story uh, of anti-corruption and trying to give an overview uh, of that. But looking at the numbers, um, we we, we we had very, very interesting findings. Uh, and this methodology actually was actually good. Uh, we, we had our limitations, um, which we highlighted in our report uh, there, uh, where we said, it, of course, first of all, it's important to acknowledge that we had just covered five states uh, and not the whole 36 states across the country. But definitely, we feel confident in our sample size and the margin of error. I think it's actually a very solid uh, output uh, because from the spread and from those we actually got, we got uh, states from the south and states from the north and of course uh, the north central of the country or the middle belt so to properly assess um, this it was actually very important and then secondly we also highlighted that um, step up has been operating for the last five years uh, and the sanctions approach started since 1999 um, so it's important to look at the timelines and um, measuring them but in general um, the methodology is actually very sound uh, for challenges um, we didn't have much challenge because we had the data in-house uh, I think that's actually absolutely fine uh, it's just we're still thinking of um, ways to see how to still engage the state actors better uh, because it's a very dynamic um, process in tackling corruption and it's something we keep on doing continuously. Uh, but we think in general, this was a very good report. Uh, we saw lots of um, findings and indications that showed uh, that we can actually do better. Uh, just looking at the figures um, in itself, um, we had looking at the quantitative angle of this document, we had actually looked at uh, the budget of the Economics and Financial Crimes Commission, uh, EFCC, uh, where we also try to measure its number of convictions and trying to, of course, have this um, against uh, the budgeted amounts, uh, which was budgeted by um, the government for the EFCC. And you'd actually get to see very interesting figures there. Uh, the Economics and Financial Crimes Commission had about close to 9,000 convictions, but somewhere in the late 8, 8,900 thereabouts. And in terms of budget, uh, they had budget been allocated uh, about 180 uh, billion um, Naira. Um, that was over the course of about eight years. And what we just did was just to get a basic um, calculation where we divided um, the sum uh, they've been allocated and also, of course, looking at the convictions. And we just saw that uh, for each conviction, the EFCC um, makes uh, it takes them about 20 million uh, to actually secure that. And 
closely aligning that with our engagements around um, anti-corruption education. We discovered that it just takes about um, 8,000 uh, naira to educate a child. So this actually brings you back to my point where I mentioned earlier that um, anti-corruption education and the preventative approach is actually cost-effective compared to uh, the um, sanctions and enforcement approach. But these were some of the conversations that came out from the reports. And we encourage viewers uh, to actually look into these reports and read more on the facts of actually brought forward with an open mind and for the collective um, benefits of Nigeria. Thank you, Godfrey. Thank you, Samuel. Those, those were some really impressive numbers. Um, so a quick one here. So there have been some debates around the, the effectiveness of um, evaluation. So you talked about having evaluations, uh, pre and post evaluation for children in, in the five uh, states that you have worked over the years. Now, what were some other measures to, to make sure that we didn't just work with the, the evaluation results, but there were deeper um, measures to gauge the understanding and the internalization of some of these lessons being taught? Now, now Fermi, you can come in here um, if you will, but what were some other measures that were adopted to ensure that aside um, children taking the the evaluation questionnaires, which people can do at random to ensure that some of the messages were actually got deeper to the children. Okay, Samuel, would you like me to go first? Okay, um, so we understand some of the limitations around evaluation questionnaires and how, you know, responses can be skewed based on, you know, varying factors um, like time and understanding of the questionnaire and, and all of that and just children being children. Um, so another approach employed at Step Up to gauge the level of understanding is we have what we call creativity boot camps. And we do this, that exercise is basically around um, allowing children use their creative abilities to express their thoughts and their understanding about corruption and corruption issues. So when we have creativity boot camps in schools, we ask children to write stories, to write poems, to write essays, letters, song, rap, comic, drama, anything that a child can do creatively to express themselves on paper. And we ask them to do this. And we use that because that one is not restrictive. They are not guided or goaded, you know, by any questions. They have that free will to express, you know, their own level of understanding around anti-corruption issues and what lessons they were taught through our advocacy sessions in the schools. Um, so that we were able to see when children are able to write, you know, letters to the president around why corruption in their community has destroyed their community and actions that can be taken or stories about a better Nigeria, a better country where people act with integrity, then that we were able to gauge that the child truly understands um, the negative effects of corruption, but also is willing to do something about it, you know, by taking that creative step to write ar around corruption. So just, just to add um, from your question, Godfrey, that that's another approach um, that we use to ensure that we get, you know, accurate understanding. And also at Step Up, we have multiple um, evaluations. People call us the paper organization for that. So apart from like the baseline data that we collect and um, the post engagement data that we collect, we try to test to see if the lessons that were taught upon our first interaction with children is something, you know, that lasts. And so we have an endline evaluation approach where um, children and schools are visited. We visit them again four to six months after our engagement to test to see 
if you know end of term you've gone home for holiday you've come back for another session four to six months after our initial engagement do you still understand what you were taught do you still believe that corruption is bad are you still motivated to take action against um corruption to stand for integrity so we test that again just to see if you know the message actually did stick and so using these multiple methods we're able to ascertain that the anti-corruption education that we're teaching in schools is actually effective and that children actually understand you know, the dangers of corruption and are willing to take action to tackle it. Very, very, very interesting. So while you still have the floor, Fermi, you started with children and, and now you have expanded your intervention to adults. Did you tailor the approach for adults different from what you used for children? Yes, um, valid question. Um, and yes, you know, when we started off, we started off, you know, um, in 2018 with children, especially primary school children. I uh, moved to junior and senior secondary was even much later on. Like we said, it was an area that no one else was working in. People thought children were too young to understand what corruption was. That's why would a primary school child even understand? Should we be exposing them to corruption that early? And we've always made the argument that they live in a corrupt world. They face the consequences every day due to poor access to electricity and education and, and good roads. And so it's not, they should also know, you know, what the cause of these hardships that they are passing through is. Um, but yes, we've had to tailor our approaches based on our initiatives. Um, so, of course, we have a broad initiative called the Catch Them Young Initiative. Um, the first one there, of course, is the Young Anti-Corruption Champions Initiative, which is targeted at children, like I said, in primary, junior and early senior secondary school. Um, and we've had to, so we have four anti-corruption storybooks, Emeka's Money, Halima's Votes, Tosin's Story and Answer Speech. And even the storybooks are sort of tailored for an age category, specifically books like Emeka's Money and Answer Speech. We have found from our own evaluations that they work better for children in like lower primary schools. Um, but Tosin's Story is a bit more complicated. And so that's the tool that we use for you know senior secondary schools and junior secondary schools as well so even at that level we know that you know the tools won't work across board but I'll come back to other approaches but what I wanted to find out you know wanted to mention rather that from our findings have shown that all of the tools are sort of family tools so we have animated films based off our storybooks and of course, children love cartoons, so it was tailored for cartoons, but we've actually gotten feedback from adults, you know, from parents, from people in communities, from teachers who we've actually shown the animated film who have said they enjoyed it. And so I don't I don't want my answer today to be a strict um, books are only for kids, animated films are only for kids, just to mention that all our tools can actually be interchanged um, because everybody loves cartoons still or loves films. And when the message is powerful enough, you know, they would accept it. But when we work with parents, for example, we have a special toolkit designed for parents to teach them how to instill anti-corruption values in the home. Our teachers also are trained on a separate learning and development website that has curated anti-corruption training materials for teachers to teach. And when we started our first time voters um, integrity initiative, we knew that we couldn't use the same cartoons or storybooks um, used with children with them because they were, you know, young adults and also adults as well up to the age of 35. And so we've actually ventured into filmmaking. And so we have two films, um, the film live action version for Halima's Votes and also Friday's example. In this case, we used Halima's Votes to engage the communities initially. But of course, I said we're innovative. So what we did that was new in the last two years was introduce a tool called virtual reality that immerses you into the reality of the person in the story, which makes you more empathetic to you know, the plight that they are going through. And so we currently have 
two virtual reality films, Sherifat School and Abike Story. They're both on our YouTube channel, Step Up TV. So please do check that out. Um, and those tools have been tailored. So we use Abike Story to engage communities around vote selling behaviors and how they can stand up and demand for better service delivery using their votes as a bargaining tool. And so we found that virtual reality, one, it's being a film, but two, it being immersive had the capacity to, you know, motivate people to say, I want to do something to stop this in my community. Our second virtual reality film, Sherifat School, um, which was targeted at policymakers in the education sector because we were trying to stop public sector corruption in the education sector, ensuring that children um, get better access to education if their, you know, officials are using the funds meant to improve education to actually do what it was budgeted for as opposed to siphoning those funds. And so even in our interactions with government officials using Sherifat School, we've also seen that the film is able to cause a lot of introspection to say, what can I do in my own MDA, in my own agency, my own ministry to ensure that corruption is reduced you know, to a minimal level. And so definitely there are variations in the tools that we use for different audiences. Um, but just to say that the children will enjoy the virtual reality film and adults also, families enjoy watching, you know, the cartoon with their kids as well. So, yes, tools ought to be tailored for audiences. But the beauty about anti-corruption education is because the stories are so relatable to the everyday, you know, plight of the Nigerian, our tools are enjoyed by diverse, you know, audiences as well. Thank you very much. I'll come back to you, Fermi, but but Samuel, let's talk a bit about the virtual reality. It's a it's a, a revolutionary approach by Stop Nigeria, and it has yielded a lot of um, positive responses. Now, do you think the immersive nature of the VR has um, been able to uh, push the message? Uh, closer home than all the other approaches, uh, because when when children, both children and adults, the use of the virtual reality headsets kind of make them feel like they are in the the story themselves. So, do you think that that has had more effect in the in the propagation of the anti-corruption messaging? Thanks very much, Godfrey. And just to answer your question, I think that would be a resounding yes, um, because um, like the adage goes, um, seeing is believing. Um, oftentimes, once you uh, talk to children or give them um, the theoretical components, and this is actually backed by empirical evidence, um, it's actually they learn more once they can visualize, once they can picture, see these things and pictures or real um, images uh, than when you just give them in theory. Uh, so it's different uh, it's a very sound way of um, passing our message across to not just children, but of course to adults as well, because messages being passed in this way is actually retained very well. So to answer your question, yes, um, immersing them in virtual reality is an innovative um, approach, uh, which Step Up has actually been pioneering in the last um, couple of years. I would think it's very important because we've seen results. Uh, this actually goes a long way to ensure that children learn very well. So yes, to answer your question, it's a solid um, addition and has actually helped scale up understanding of citizens on how to actually tackle corruption on the dangers of corruption. And of course, for them to also see the reasons firsthand uh, through this virtual uh, reality model, the dangers of corruption and why it's important for us to come together as a nation and tackle it. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Samuel. So um, back to you, Fermi. I'm very interested in this particular question. I, I want to know the uh, outcomes of some of these interventions, but more than the outcomes, um, specific stories of change that, that um, you know, beneficiaries of these uh, initiatives and, you know, what were some of the feedbacks received from uh, beneficiaries of the initiative? 
All right. Thank you, Godfrey. We pride ourselves in sort of gathering, you know, large data. So as that, when this report was released in July, we had engaged over 50,000 children in all the intervention states that we've worked in in the last five years. Um, in terms of evaluation, because we do have categories for out-of-school children and children um, with disabilities, but we evaluated over 30,000 children um, based on our evaluation questionnaires. And what we were able to find was that students were able to demonstrate a stronger understanding of corruption after our intervention and after interacting with our tools. Um, students were also able to demonstrate a commitment to speak up against cheating behaviors um, after being trained by the Setup Nigeria team and exposure to our tools as well. Um, we also noticed that students will, you know, they are willing now to show strong anti-corruption values of, you know, fairness, transparency, accountability as a result of these interactions with anti-corruption education. Um, and that finally, students demonstrate a strong confidence to tackle corruption. They are basically saying, I want to do something about these corrupt problems. Um, and some of the outcomes of our program are that children have improved understanding of corruption and are motivated to take action against it. But we, we also get a lot of feedback from our beneficiaries. We have an integrity hotline, um, which is a number that children and parents call to discuss actions that they're taking or to ask questions around anti-corruption education. So we're seeing from that a lot of stories that have come out. Um, I think I'll leave some out to discuss a bit more about, you know, our randomized control trials and how that has shown specific changes in cheating behaviors. But back to beneficiary stories, we have an anti-corruption star awards that we host every December. And our anti-corruption star awards, the videos are also on our YouTube channel. I'm plugging that again, Step Up TV. But basically we highlight the work that our champions are doing across all our initiatives to ensure um, that their stories are being told. Um, I'm trying to decide because we do have over 50 champions awarded in the last five years, which stories to share to you today. But I'll start with our young anti-corruption champion called Sauda Kabir. Um, and Sauda, when we met her, was a nine-year-old girl in Leham Primary School in Lagos State. And after we had this engagement in her school using Emeka's money, Sauda believed that she had to do something to educate her neighborhood around why corruption was bad. And we have Sauda actually starting, you know, a WhatsApp group with parents so that she could speak to young friends in her neighborhood. And she started an anti-corruption arts and crafts club on her street, inviting many of the neighborhood's children to the session, talking about why they need to stop corruption, reading books with them, doing paintings and drawings and using crafts to express, you know, their, their beliefs around why corruption was bad. Um, through our first time voters integrity initiative, we've also seen communities, you know, take ownership and say we don't want corruption anymore. We've had people take to the streets with, you know, microphones and placards um, discussing against corruption. Um, we've had people in the communities also, you know, reject bribes from politicians who have come to their communities. And so now we have people saying, I'm not going to sit back and do nothing. I'm actually going to take ownership and begin to tackle corruption in my own community. We've also had people who have had the confidence to actually report bribery. You know, students who have seen parents pay bribes for their children's past exams who have reported them. We've seen children who have rejected bribes from their own classmates, you know, to give them answers in examinations or to vote for them as class captain. Um, we've also had this really special story where we transformed the election of Redeemer's um, secondary school in Abuja, where they were used to their mates giving them 50 naira, you know, to buy donuts at the talk shop or selling, giving people sweets and, you know, snacks for their votes. And after our intervention with the school, they actually said they had the freest and the fairest election. Before people would vote people that were from the same states, but now they were actually asking the young candidates what they were going to do as prefects to ensure that the school systems were 
were strengthened. And so the elections were transformed because they knew, you know, vote selling was not the way because we read Halima's votes with their school. Um, there are many, many stories on our website. We have a document also called Stories of Change, where you would also find this report. So I would recommend that people open our Stories of Change documents and also read through some of these um, many, many stories. If I continue, I can talk about our stories for the next 20 minutes, but I'll I'll stop there, Godfrey. Thank you very much, uh, Fairman. So Samuel, talk us through the process, the randomized control trials and, um, you know, some of the outcomes from uh, that scientific approach. Thanks very much, Godfrey. Um, like you mentioned, um, it's randomized. Um, so we select um, whoever we are evaluating at random. I'm looking at it from the holistic um, empirical engagement as point of view. Um, it's randomized, so pick at random. Uh, it's part of our evaluation process, which we do here at Step Up, and it's actually very important and fundamental uh, because once you don't predict um, any sampling method, um, it's definitely tells you that you can actually get the best out of it uh, because it's not something predictable. It's something you just pick at random. And um, statisticians would actually um, endorse that approach. Uh, but in general, um, as part of the evaluation uh, method, um, we saw different um, uh, scores and different um, results from those aspects, uh, which we've actually captured in our results uh, uh, and the report as well. Of course, we had um, the approach where uh, we show, of course, we educate and empower, uh, which we call the C approach. Uh, this RCD also showed that um, it's an integral component of anti-corruption efforts. And of course, the empower em emphasizes the power of storytelling uh, in helping to mold um, children's attitudes towards corruption. Uh, in, in looking at the numbers, um, Part of the evaluation also showed um, that the knowledge of corruption increased um, from 47 points, uh, about 47% to about 60%, um, which is actually a plus because there you have a double digit increase. Uh, it also showed um, that um, those who actually pledged uh, to counter cheating amongst the kids of engage also increased. And generally across board, um, the evaluations have shown that we've made efforts uh, to um, tackle corruption and actually shows us the results and the progress uh, in ensuring that this is actually done in general. So we at Step Up are actually in full support of empirical um, evidence. Uh, we support this very well because we think uh, it helps us to measure progress. Uh, it's part of the monitoring, evaluation, accountability and learning um, initiative of the organization uh, where we don't just go into the field and implement uh, activities, but we actually have a mechanism in place to actually track um, the success of these um, activities, to actually track that we have impact and to actually track that we're actually majoring on the major and, of course, minoring on the minor and to ensure that we balance our strengths on these key areas. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, Samba. Uh, Fermi, you may want to speak a bit on this. Um, so. The, the, the RCTs, as I understand it, so they are randomized and then split into groups and then they are tested and one is given the treatment and the other group is given, you know, a random um, treatment. So in the group that got the Step Up Nigeria treatment, were the results better? What were, what were some of the results that you found interesting? Um, so with our randomized control trials, it's been interesting to see, and this is an immediate impact of a film or a book that the kids were exposed to on how they would cheat. And something we did was test cheating behaviors in two ways. How well or how willing will a child be to cheat for themselves when given the opportunity to cheat after being exposed to anti-corruption tools or not compared to 
how well a child will be willing to cheat for others, so for their friends. So we're testing for cheating for themselves and for their friends. Um, we saw a significant higher increase in children, you know, reduction in cheating behaviors for themselves um, after being exposed to anti-corruption education. We also saw a bit of a reduction also in children being willing to cheat for their friends, but it was higher in cheating for themselves. So it was funny how some children um, would not cheat for themselves, but would still cheat for their friends. And so I think that's an area that we still need to look into in terms of um, tackling, because that's where, you know, those nepotistic behaviours come in. But it was good to see that our intervention was able to reduce directly and immediately children's propensity to cheat for themselves in examinations. Um, Again, we are still testing a lot of our tools, so it will be good to see in the next couple of years um, how well this approach is able to change cheating. And that's what made us also start one of our initiatives called um, the School Integrity Certification Program. And we're trying to build a culture of integrity in schools as well um, around the admissions and academic integrity policies, you know, codes of conduct, conflict of interest registers, ensuring anti-corruption is being taught. And the idea behind that is beyond our own individual efforts, you know, the school itself should have a structure in place that reduces these behaviors at an early age and we're also partnering with like government stakeholders um, getting approvals to ensure that you know anti-corruption education is being taught in the curriculum and the daily scheme of work for schools because um and maybe i'm preempting your next question but for anti-corruption education to work you have to have multiple doses um it, it can't just be like a, a one-off injection that you get you know um, if you're going to kill malaria, they will give you three days injection. So it's something that has to be a continued or continuous effort in sensitizing, you know, your audience to ensure that these beliefs that they are getting from anti education continue over time. Yes, uh, you, that, that's actually very, very nice. But before that, I would go back to Samuel for just a bit. So Samuel, according to the report um, published um, in one of the, the components, um, it showed that over 70% of um, children engaged um, showed commitment to speak up um, against cheating behaviors. Now, this is very interesting. And um, I, I wanted to ask, now, do you see this going broader to uh, other areas like speaking up against bullying, against uh, abuses? Because Nigeria as a country has this culture of hush, 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 you know, so they try to keep children from speaking. But post-engagement, 70%, over 70% um, were willing to speak up. So it, it didn't matter whether it was your teacher or the school administrator, parents, or the policeman on the road. Do you see a ripple effect of this into broader areas going forward? Definitely, Godfrey. I think I share that sentiment that there would actually be a ripple effect on this, um, not just on anti-corruption, but on other um, topical issues. And this is because it's the power of education, and that's what we've actually harnessed um, at Step Up um, to engage people. Um, education, like they say, is actually power, right? So once you educate people, you show them, you educate them, you empower them, which is our C approach, then they can actually carry out lots of things on their own. They can do lots of things. Uh, and like they say, um, show them um, how to fish, right? And not give them a fish. Uh, because that's actually what we do to these kids. And once you do that to them in different aspects, they will definitely cope. So not just corruption, um, looking at issues around bullying, uh, which is also an area we would also try to um, walk, walk across. And of course, other related issues generally, educating citizens, educating children, uh, educating um, 
different um, other non-state actors on key topical issues would actually go a long way in tackling the challenges faced in those areas. Thank you very much, uh, Samuel. We've talked about this in bits and pieces. Um, so, Fermi, from your experience and the, the, the results obtained from the presentive approach, do you think that anti-corruption education is more effective in combating corruption uh, compared to the sanction method. Now, I know we've talked about multiple doses and the fact that you know we can combine both, but if you could pick one, going to your head, do you think anti-corruption uh, education approach is more effective? It's it's a difficult question um, because you say if I could pick one, um, I'll I'll reiterate that with the preventive approach, when I go back to the question you asked me at the start around, you know, does he envisage a future where this becomes dominant approach? I do envisage a future. But with behavioral change approach, we do need like a lot more results over the last 10 years so that we have solid scientific research backing up why this is the thing that everybody should be doing everywhere. Uh, and in a country like Nigeria, where our sanction systems are quite weak, we very rarely have people, you know, who actually serve time for corrupt crimes. I think at least 80% of our anti-corruption efforts right now should be in the preventive approach. I think anti-corruption education should be advocated for at all levels of education, primary school, secondary school, at the tertiary institutions. I believe anti-corruption education should be taught even in the civil service on the courses for onboarding, you know, for new staff. Periodically, people need to take, you know, lessons on this. I definitely think this should be the predominant approach in tackling corruption in Nigeria today. Um, compared to the sanctions approach. And I think Samuel already mentioned it a bit. He can do a bit more. Um, but one, in terms of like the cost of sanctions compared to the cost of anti-corruption education, it's more expensive, the legal process, the battles, um, but also, you know, the long-term effects. We're changing how people are going to act as opposed to I arrest you for stealing money now. Even if you serve 10 years and come out, you may still go back to stealing later if the behavior was not addressed. And so I definitely believe I stand with the behavioral change approach, the preventive approach in tackling corruption. Prevention, as they say, is better than cure. Thank you very much, Fermi. Uh, Samuel, do you have a, a contrary opinion or you're going to be diplomatic, but it gone to your head. Pick one. So if you give me a gun to my head to pick one, I'll pick half of both and I'll sum it up to one, but free. And that's because they both need to work hand in hand, right? Um, while we educate them, um, nature and life also understands that there will be deviance in society, right? Would have one or two individuals who wouldn't conform to whatever is being um, given to them uh, from the education point of view, uh, and then would need the criminal justice system to ensure that there are checks and balances for those individuals. But in general, um, from our end, we think this is important. And, and this is so because um, political office holders, in one way or the other, whether we like it or not, I, or public office holders in general, are a reflection of the society. Uh, so once you ensure that social norms and values are instilled in society, it would actually be reflected uh, in the kind of public office holders um, that certain society has. And this is why we're trying to catch the kids young, um, because um, when you talk about corruption, when you look at different theories of corruption, uh, for example, the principal and agent model, where you have citizens who are the principals, that model takes citizens as the main principals who hold um, the agents, who are the people who've elected into office, accountable for their actions. So we are doing educating those principles uh, that once you elect individuals into power, hold them accounts for what you've elected them into power for. Um, don't meet them for 
um, handouts, don't meet them for um, little cash gifts, don't meet them for whatever thing you've not elected them in office for. Because sometimes when you engage public office holders, they actually tell you that um, why some of them, I mean, this is not to their defense, and I think it's important to highlight it, uh, why some of them do the things they do is because they are trying to um, respond to the needs of their constituents, um, because they're trying to respond to their constituents who demanded X, Y, Z from them. Uh, we've seen cases where political and public office holders go back to their homes and they need to go back to right otherwise they won't be welcome into the community. So what this anti-corruption education does is it ensures that those citizens don't make those requests in the first place. So request they are making is um, there is this budget line, this budget was passed that shows the uh, corresponding route uh, to the effect of the um, cash backing which was released for that um, route. Uh, so these are, these are actually the main wins and the main gains we're having. So it's building collective action, ensuring that citizens now take action. You don't need the courts. You have citizens, you have the whole village, you have the whole communities make, taking a stand. And we've seen this in our projects we've implemented uh, during the elections. You have communities taking a stand and saying, no, we are not going to do X, Y, Z. No, this is the way to go. And with that aspect, you would also even see that um, there would be corresponding decrease in the amounts needed by the law enforcement agencies because um, those who would be breaking the law would actually be few and would be reduced. And then these funds can actually be channeled more to the preventive approach. So this is um, the logic, or uh, you could say the logical framework behind this idea, behind these thoughts. And that's actually why we do uh, the lot of work we do. And that's why with the guns to my head, I'll give you uh, half of the board's approach. Thank you. Very, very diplomatic from Samuel. Of course, uh, Samuel is Mr. Diplomacy. Um, um, I, 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 I totally agree with um, both of you. There's, there's merit to both. Um, you know, if you look at um, Asia, especially in China, they, they, they look at corruption like a sin, like um, a, not just crime, but it, it's, it's looked at like it's, it's a moral sin, it's a sin against God, and so the whole society understands and and looks at this and i think it started with this culture of raising children from from a very young age to look at corruption as something very very bad so they don't even just wait for the sanctions anymore even just within the society corruption is 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 looked at as something very terrible so um what were some of the recommendations in uh, this report yeah, thanks, Godfrey. I think it's very important to highlight some of them. So one we're looking at institutionalizing anti-corruption education, uh, ensuring that it's actually infused um, by the relevant um, agencies. Um, you'd see ICPC, to their credit, uh, doing a couple of work around this, uh, where they have their national ethics and integrity policy and all that. Uh, so one we look at ensuring that this is actually infused uh, into um, the anti-corruption education in general. And this looks at having curriculums in place at the national, sub-national, uh, and of course, um, the uh, local government levels to, uh, to ensure that they actually understand this. And we're also looking at um, developing, of course, um, and implementing um, uh, project-based assessments, uh, which presents um, students with scenarios of ethical um, decisions that they need to make. Now, this doesn't just have to be within the um, confines of schools, but of course, having um, games, having um, uh, applications, having different products, knowledge products, of course, uh, that can actually help inform that this is actually being done. Uh, of course, um, ensuring and uh, encouraging collaborative learning uh, amongst different students, that's also very important. Uh, providing teachers with the professional knowledge they need uh, around anti-corruption education, ensuring that they actually um, know what they would actually teach 
uh, these students that they actually lecture. Uh, strengthening anti-corruption education in um, informal setting, super, super important. Um, away from the classes, away from the schools, away from the institutions where we actually speak lots of this language or speak, uh, make lots of these statements. We need to go to the grassroots uh, to meet those who are disconnected from the urban areas and ensure that they actually have this. Uh, of course, collaboration amongst the states and non-state actors. So this will involve um, civil society organization, faith-based organization, the churches, our community-based organizations, and of course, um, representative from the media. So more like a multi-stakeholder approach uh, to ensure that there's lots of cooperation around corruption um, education within their domains. If you notice, um, some partners have actually been doing this and working around this. Of course, um, ensuring that networks are uh, it's been established amongst um, those who train uh, and of course amongst anti-corruption educators. Uh, also ensuring that the anti-graft agencies collaborate more and coordinate more. This is super important because currently we see them trying to outshine themselves, um, uh, which is an unhealthy um, side of competition, but we need to ensure that they collaborate more. And then of course, um, including the citizens, the end users, uh, who we target in lots of our anti-corruption education uh, project uh, design. Thanks, Godfrey. I think these are a couple of the points of the recommendation and the reports. Um, viewers can actually look at this extensively when they download a copy of this report. Thank you very much. So, Fermi, uh, what are some parting words that um, you have for listeners around uh, what we do, anti-corruption education, and even in regards to the report? Thank you. Um, I'll start with the report. I think my, my biggest charge would be to stakeholders in the education sector. I think we do need to go back to the drawing board. There is clearly something wrong with the generation of Nigerians, even some of the youth that we're seeing in society where certain things that should be unacceptable have become acceptable behavior. And that, that includes things like fraud that we're seeing predominantly now. And so my charge is to the education sector. I think we do need a either a curriculum review or curriculum enhancement, but something needs to change around what we're being taught in our schools. That's where kids spend most of their lives till they're like 18, 20, 25, where we're learning. Um, and if our education is not sufficient to raise a total man that can stand with integrity, then our education is flawed. And so this would be a call to review our education system to enhance. So if we need to include more anti-corruption education models, even at the university level, I think it's something we need to look into. And Step Up is very willing to partner with, you know, the government to build a healthy curriculum that and that's you know emphasizes um, integrity behaviors in the way that we live. Um, so that's my charge, I think, for educators who would read this report is what can we do to ensure that we strengthen anti-corruption education in the curriculum. And then for Nigerians, I think our, our advocacy at Step Up is also to empower everyday Nigerians like you, yourselves, our listeners, and even those in the international community who listen to our podcast to say, be the change that you want to see. Um, tackling corruption starts with you and me. I think everybody at my team has a shirt that says, you know, fighting corruption begins with you and me. We believe that each person in their offices, in their schools, in their homes, you know, can make that difference by daily choosing to act with integrity and to shun corruption. And so the ball really is in our court to do the right thing and to encourage those next to us and nearest to us to also you know, do the right thing. Um, and yes, our report is on our website. Um, just visit www.stepupnigeria.org um, and click reports. On our reports page, you will find our stories of change and also this anti-corruption report. And it's free. So we'd love to hear your feedback if you download this and have any thoughts or questions for us as well. 
sometimes when we talk about corruption, it looks and it sounds and it seems so monumental. Uh, it seems like something we can't really tackle. Uh, but history has shown us, and I'm a very good friend of research and data, uh, history has shown us from 1999 up until where we are. We've actually had a couple of points uh, that have been improved um, through uh, engagements. Uh, we have legislations in place, we've had laws in place. Uh, so Nigerians shouldn't do so, we should keep pushing. Uh, I think um, the corrupt individuals who don't mean well for the country really want Nigerians to be tired. So Nigerians shouldn't give in to um, that fatigue, or uh, shouldn't give in to that call that nothing can be done, or it's going to be impossible to reduce corruption in Nigeria. It is possible. With collective action, it is possible. With anti-corruption education, it is possible. With determination by citizens, it is possible. Thank you. Thank you very much, Samuel. It is possible. Uh, I want to especially thank um, my my guests today. Uh, it was really wonderful talking with you um, on anti-corruption education in Nigeria, a complementary tool or alternative to enforcement. That was the uh, Step Up Nigeria's report on anti-corruption. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, Fermi. All right. Thank you, Godfrey. So for our listeners who are new, welcome to our podcast again. I'd like to mention if you want to listen to more of this, our podcast is on all podcasting platforms and it also feature on our YouTube channel, Step Up TV. Our social media handles are at Step Up Nigeria on Twitter, or should I say X, um, and Instagram and threads. Um, and we are Step Up Nigeria on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, we're on TikTok as well. We have some nice funny videos as well there at Step Up Nigeria TV and on YouTube. YouTube, as I mentioned at Step Up TV. So please do follow us to keep up with the activities that we're doing and share your comments and feedback with us using those channels as well. Thank you very much. Uh, so my name is Godfrey. I was your host on today's episode. Thank you very much for your time and have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.